Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Welcome to the EquipCast, everybody. My name is Jim Jansen. I'm the Director of Pastoral Services here at the Archdiocese of Omaha. Joined today again, as uh, always, by my co-host, Father Jeff Lorig. Father, how you doing? I'm doing really well, just like uh, last episode. Did you ever answer that badly? There's like, we should work on like an honest culture. So you can <laughs> say like, not having a good day. Well, I'm having a really good day. But you always are, right? Whenever there's an EquipCast. Uh, well, it's Friday usually is when we do this, and I usually don't have anything scheduled after this. So even though my weekend is really, it, I only work on the weekends, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, the life of a priest. But Fridays are kind of nice because it's a little bit later mass tomorrow morning and not quite as hectic uh, as it normally is. So yes, I'm doing really well. And I'm, I'm always happy to be with you, Jim. Nice. Likewise. Well, if you have found the EquipCast and if we are the highlight of your week, <laughs> like we desire to be, or like we are for each other, uh, you can subscribe, look on all of the major uh, platforms, EquipCast, all one word, and just go ahead and subscribe there, and you can uh, make sure that you don't miss any episodes. And if you are interested in the show notes and all sorts of other goodies and resources, we have a blog. It's equip.archomaha.org. Again, that's equip.archomaha.org. If you go there and subscribe, you'll get notifications every time we release a new blog, a new podcast, and access to the show notes and all the other cool stuff there. Today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about vision. And I think I've noticed this phenomenon, which is not, I think, uncommon to many folks here that are laboring in, in the Lord's Vineyard, where we get to a point where we get a little dissatisfied with where we're at. You know, we, we get dissatisfied with the status quo. We want more for our ministry, for our people. But despite the fact that we set out on the journey, we ended up never really quite getting there. We always get derailed because distraction, the, how long it takes, discouragement, firefighting. There's some big thing that has come up that we have to like, yeah, that we, we think we're the ones that have to attend to. And they kind of derail our hopes and our dreams. And as we're talking about this, I mean, there's a lot of different solutions to this, you know, accountability and having a team and clear goal setting and deadlines. But I think there's a hidden power source, if you will, that helps us fight through distraction and discouragement and all those things that come up. And as we've been talking, I think that's, that's vision. And, and that's, that's something that's a word that's thrown around a lot, but we want to talk about like, okay, what, what is vision and how do you find the Lord's vision for your parish? So father, I want to kind of tee you up on this, like just to start us off here, what's a vision and, and why does it matter? Well, yeah, thanks. Uh, good tee up. Uh, I, I should be able to swing at this one pretty easily. But I also think it's it's not just a, a vision for your parish. It could be a vision for your family. It could be a vision right. for your finances. It could be a, a vision for your prayer life, uh, a vision for any ministry that you're involved in. So mm -hmm. we certainly want to make sure that uh, this isn't just for pastors and their leadership team. It's, it's really for mm -hmm. anybody who has been walking with the Lord. Because vision is certainly a big part of, of scripture. And we're going to take a look 
at Nehemiah today, and we're not going to go deep into it. Everybody who's listening can can check out Nehemiah, but Nehemiah is a good example of somebody who had a vision and then implemented it and, and followed through. And again, so it's, and this isn't just like corporate fancy language, you know, from the mm-hmm. business world. This is, you know, straight out of the Bible. So vision, I guess in general, is really where you'd like to be. It's It's this tension between what could be and what actually is. And so oftentimes we are kind of sitting there in that that tension. And I think when I think about vision and maybe the struggles with that people have a vision for their ministry or their family or, or their parish, I think it's often, it's fuzzy. You know, vision is about what you can see. And if you're not seeing clearly what that preferred future looks like, then you need to go back and think and pray and talk about what you really want. Uh, I just give you a, an example and I'm finding that, you know, my strengths are, you know, futuristic and uh, strategic. Um, ideation is pretty high too. And mm-hmm. so my favorite time of the day is usually in the morning uh, when I read, but then when, when the idea hits me and I start dreaming and I'm like, well, what if we did this? And then I sort of have a vision of it, but then I share that vision or I sh- usually I share the idea with somebody on my leadership team. Mm-hmm. And they say, seems like a good idea, but it's still pretty fuzzy to us. <laughs> so my next favorite thing is to go back and actually begin to describe exactly what it looks like for them. So an example mm-hmm. recently has been for us is uh, small groups. We want to have something for after Alpha where our parish is committed to creating a clear path for discipleship. We think Alpha is a big part of that. And and not just because it's it, it's going to, be a some sort of energy boost for the people in the pews Alpha is really for the for an outside it's part of the strategy to look outside it's the mission that we want to be on and we want to be able to onboard people into christianity through Mm -hmm. alpha but the people who are going through it not everybody's going to become a leader in alpha not everybody's going to be able to go and invite their friends and family so we have to have something for them what's the next step for them on this path for discipleship and so we started talking about Small groups. Okay, small mm. groups. Well, you know, again, I, well, I've been throwing this idea around for a long time. And finally, people on my leadership team said, describe it. What exactly yeah. do you want? <laughs> what, what are you talking about, Father? Yeah. yeah. So the, I, I would just, it's a, essentially a vision is a preferred future. And, and I think the sharper you can get on that vision, the easier it is to cast for other people. Mm-hmm. You know, I I appreciate your saying that because I think the fuzziness of the vision, I've seen that that effect. Like, if it's too fuzzy, it's not inspiring and it doesn't actually capture our hearts. I mean, I don't think there's anybody listening who can't relate. I mean, if you've been involved in any organization, corporate, sports, church, whatever, you know, there's oh, there's a vision statement or there's a mission statement, and sometimes it just it never really quite captures our imagination and our heart. And if it's too fuzzy, if it's not something that really speaks to our heart and really hits us at the gut level, it doesn't have any power. And I think that's often why some people get a little you know, cynical. It's like, oh, yeah, vision, blah, blah, blah. I was struck when you were talking in the, the beginning, this is kind of fundamentals of the Christian life. I mean, I was drawn back right to Acts of the Apostles, you know, chapter two, Peter is quoting Right after the moment of Pentecost, he's quoting the, the prophet Joel, how, how all of God's people are really to be a people of vision, that, that we're supposed to have visions. And that's, 
it's it's such a part of the Christian life, but I think sometimes we've reduced it to some kind of corporate exercise, and we never go through the work of letting the Lord cultivate something in our hearts and letting it really really sharpen to the point where we can describe it. It looks like this. It feels like this. Talk to us a little bit, like, how do you go through that process to sharpen a vision? Maybe before we get into that, it's it's the... Uh how do you even have a fuzzy vision it might be a good start sure. and I, I think that begins with a kind of an ache in your heart it begins with a, an inability to accept things the way they are so i i have trouble accepting the way we minister to people and we help people to grow into discipleship mm-hmm. i i can't accept the fact that uh, we have these very expensive schools and really good teachers and and really dedicated faculty and, and donors. And mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I have trouble accepting the fact uh, that uh, I'm not sure if they really make disciples, but I think they have the potential to. So I can just say here, hey, you need to make disciples. I can do that. Or I can say, well, what, what would the win look like? What would the, the final thing look like? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's, maybe the beginning is uh, for our schools, like if I can just get a good response at mass, that might be a good place. I w- maybe a good starting point. And when you mean a good response, you mean like an, like an amen or with your spirit. <laughs> like, a, like an amen. Uh, it's, it's hard this year because of the mass, but just getting the kids mm-hmm. to have a little more energy and uh, to, yeah, to be able to respond to, to the responses. Granted, you know, we don't get to sing anything this year, so we, we're going to have to work extra hard. So I can just see here and kind of, we need more disciples in our parish, and, and, but we have to start with, well, because I think... I think our, our teachers and our staff could get really frustrated really fast mm-hmm. if we just kind of gave them this bland vision. Right. So instead, I want to say like, oh, what if we just, what if we're able to get the kids kind of excited at mass? Or at least maybe not excited. You can't control people's emotions. But, you know, create that discipline and that habit of, of responding and responding with some energy and, and, and making sure the mass is more meaningful because we're praying for people. We're offering the mass for somebody. Right. Uh, and, I, and so I see the teachers picking that up. I, t- I see our administration understanding what I'm looking for. And Yeah. Well, it's the difference, right? It's the difference between simply being dissatisfied with where we're at and being able to paint a compelling picture of where we want to be. So it's not just like, the kids don't respond. It's what, what if, what if the church thundered, <laughs> you know, when, when people responded? Yeah. And it, and it goes from something like, it's not just something that could be done, you know, it could, it could be nice if, you know, if the kids kind of thundered a little bit. Um, but it's, it's something that's really should be, it's a should be in our heart. It really mm-hmm. aches. And, and oftentimes it, the vision comes from a place of hurt and wherever our heart is broken, cause it does break my heart that, mm-hmm. that our kids are bored and when they're bored, I'm bored. And, mm-hmm. and, and I like, Oh, you know, I already got two masses today. Why am I going to do this one? You know, uh, they just seem so disconnected and oh, it just breaks my heart because the mass is the most powerful prayer on earth. And, and, you know, we value it, but it's, even if we value it as Catholics, it can be valueless for, for other people. So it's not just a could be, it has to be a should be. We should be doing this. And that, that ache in my heart, just it needs to go from could be to, to should be. So again, if you're planning something in your parish or if your family or your finances or work or whatever it is, you know, there's a lot of could be's out there. But when you start to feel the should be, um, and again, not guilt, it's a little bit different than that. It's something mm-hmm. that is um, a preferred future well, you know, when you talked about this kind of ache in your heart, you, you referenced Nehemiah earlier, but that 
that's exactly what he experiences. You know, there's that scene where, again, for the non-biblical scholars, Book of Nehemiah, it's Old Testament, and this is after the Israelites have been taken into captivity. So Nehemiah is in exile, and he's serving the Persian king, I believe, and he gets word about the shambles that Jerusalem is in. And it just breaks his heart. And he, he weeps and he mourns and he fasts and he begins to pray. And I think that's, a, that's an uncomfortable place for us to be in. You know, we don't, I mean, it's, it's generally good psychological advice to not dwell on things that are depressing and frustrating. But with the Lord, I think there's something, like the Lord can do something in us when we let ourselves embrace something uh, well, acknowledge something in our hearts that that's broken, that is not right, that isn't the way it should be. And as we go there with the Lord, he begins to grow something in us. I mean, really, probably the first steps of a calling. I, I think you're right. Just uh, we don't want to dwell on those negative things for too long, unless it feels like it, there's a, a vision of what what should be. And, and again, the enemy loves to keep us wallowing in self-pity and all that. I think it's it's important to maybe talk to some other uh, holy people in your life about what's going on. And that is part of sharing that vision that, again, it's not just, you don't want to just dwell on the burden because I've given this talk before and there uh, a couple different audiences and pretty much every time I get to this point, like the question of well, what's really breaking your heart. And mm. oftentimes it gets to a place real personal. And I think a lot of times it's because uh, family members haven't been going to church. These mothers and fathers surround me after this talk and they say, well, this is what's breaking my heart. And then I, to take them from what's breaking your heart to what should be, what do you want to do? What is the vision you have in front of you? Like, so that's where I think we have to be able to discern from what's breaking your heart to what is the vision God is putting in your heart for something new uh, and, and something that's possible, a preferred future. So don't get stuck here. Don't get stuck in what's breaking yeah. your heart. There's lots of things that break my heart. I mean, the Huskers having to play Ohio State first and they just have a tough <laughs> schedule. I mean, yeah. goodness gracious, you know. Although they're, they're playing. They're, they're at least playing. It's hard Although, to celebrate when you can just, we can focus on the negative. Like, yeah. <laughs> like oh, because, yeah, at first it was exciting. And, and then, but then you can, we can dwell on that negative part stuff for a long time. So, yeah, so make sure you get out of the broken heart stuff and, and begin to, again, what is it you want? So if, if, if your heart breaks yeah. for the fact that your kid isn't going to mass, I would say, like, dream about a parish or a church that would be the church that they might feel welcome to. Yeah. Father, talk more about this, because I think this is so natural, I think, for you, your particular gifting, you know, your Gallup themes of strategic and futuristic. But talk a little bit, like, how does someone, okay, they're determined not to stay stuck. How do you begin to move into that really the, the area that's more than just a broken heart. It's a vision. It's a dream for the future. How do you do that? Break down, like, how do you invite the Lord in and let him begin to lead and call you out? Well, again, I think uh, Nehemiah is a good uh, backdrop for us because he, uh, he he had a broken heart and in his vision was to go rebuild the walls. It wasn't to just reestablish Jerusalem. It was first things mm -hmm. first, let's get an amen from the people, right? Let's, yeah. let's just build the walls. <laughs> And he was crazy to do it because, again, if we, we think our dreams are impossible, 
those walls hadn't been built and they've been destroyed for 150 years. So you think, well, he just has to go and start, you know, gathering materials. But actually mm -hmm. the first, he had to wait, actually. He couldn't leave mm -hmm. from where he was. He had to go. And, uh, well, he was not a free man. Right. Other people had it worse, but you know, he was, he had a good job. He was working for the King, but he was not, yeah, he didn't have a, a generous PTO package. <laughs> right. Uh, so it's important to wait and plan. So while we wait, the vision begins to really mature in us. So when I do share my ideas with folks and they ask me to, to say more, like, well, what do you mean? I often find that I'm not able to articulate it. So I go back to my mm -hmm. room and I dream on paper and yeah. I, I literally break it down. Here's what I would love to see. Again, another idea that, that I had was like, I have a, let's have a big event. We can re be really excited about inviting our non-Catholic friends to. And I'm not talking a festival or a fish fry, like no, a prayerful, like a very powerful prayerful event. So we're planning this event and I've shared this with my leadership team. And I said, yeah, I want a big event, you know, where we have like, you know, good sermon and our parishioners uh, are feeling empowered to uh, ask their friends and their family to come and but then when I, when I really begin to dream, I want to tie it in with a food drive. Okay, that, okay, food drive. And we're going to do around Thanksgiving. And okay, food drives happen all the time. And they're, you know, some are successful, some are, I, mean, I would say all food drives are successful because they're really, they're really helping folks. Unless you get creamed corn, that's usually, that's, that's not a kind thing usually to offer to someone. <laughs> right um with that old broccoli but no I, I guess i when i talk about a win um when i talk about that big event or the food drive i i just started sharing the vision of you know what if the foyer was full of food so much so that you had to clear a path to get into church oh that's awesome wait say, say that again because you're painting a picture for them what, what did you say i said well what if the foyer was so full of food that we had to clear a path to get into the church I mean, if you can just imagine like just piles and piles and stacks and stacks of cans and bags and boxes and, and so many parishioners and, and, and those non-parishioners that, that our parishioners invited, they said, we're going to, we're going to fill the shelves of our homeless shelters, uh, of our food pantries around Omaha. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to, we're going to do this so well, we're going to make it difficult for them to find room right? So just really, yeah. I don't want just a food drive. Like I want a food drive that knocks the socks off of people. And so again, that was, I'm sort of wired for this because futuristic, so it's a Gallup strength. Um, this is what we do. Often we can see details of the future mm -hmm. that we would prefer or sometimes not prefer because sometimes it can be dreaded. Uh, we can create a lot of anxiety for ourselves too about the future. So I kind of lean in my strengths that way. Well, and for those who don't have those, as I listen to you kind of break it down, like you're creating a, like, this is what it looks like. And, and you begin to help people see what it looks like to have these cans and boxes and bags stacked up. And then you're like, and here's what it feels like. Like we feel, and, and those were blessing that the food pantries, they feel this, wow, they're, they're overwhelmed by the generosity that we've been able to bring together to bless them. So I, I love that. I think that's oftentimes we we state a thing and we we neglect our emotions and our imagination as part of part of this process. And it gets people excited about it uh, as well. Like, yeah, let's do that. So 
you know, we're not doing this next week. So we're, we're dreaming on paper. That was my task. I had to go back and, you know, tell me exactly what you want. Now that's how somebody else uses their gifts. They're executors. They get things done. And, and we're learning how to work as a team where they, they'll say, well, tell us what it looks like and we'll, we'll help you pull it off. Ah, oh, it's, it's so great. So again, Nehemiah didn't leave right away. He had a lot of time before he, he could leave. The vision matures. So let the vision really mm -hmm. mature, really, again, dream on paper. And then also what happens is we begin to mature in preparation for the vision. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I Wait, what, what do you mean by that? Because, you know, when you talk about me maturing, that it scares me a little bit. I, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, had I come to my two parishes here at St. Thomas More and St. Joan of Arc, had I come here three years ago when I was – you know, I, I think everybody knows, or some people know, I worked in the chancery for three years. That was my previous assignment. And I don't think, even though I had some good ideas and I was really fired up, and I'm, I'm sure I could have pulled it off, but <clears throat> pulled off being a, being a pastor at another parish, I, um, it was really important for me to grow up a little bit those three years at the chancery. And it hurt like heck. And Jim knows that personally. Right? Sure. You, were, you were dreaming. I mean, your heart was, you wanted to be a pastor. That, that was such joy. Yeah, and I had a, a vision, and it was important, first of all, for those three years to really envision, to dream on paper. And I have lots of documents and plans that I've written over the last three years of what would what would small groups look like, what would Alpha look like, what would a what would a mass that attracted seekers look like. Um, and but it hurt like heck. Um, but it was in that kind of that hurt and that cross that I really matured. I also learned how to work better with uh, the people in the. Uh, in my offices, I learned how to be a better manager. Like I'm, I'm so much more skilled today than I was three years ago because mm -hmm. I, I had to take on new skills and I also had to um, be humbled a little bit. You know, it wasn't always easy to work with with everybody because there's there's so much talent and there's so many different personalities. I didn't choose my team. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the Archbishop chose his team, and I had to work with the, those guys. Uh, and gal and uh, I, and and it was really important for me to um, hear from them and also be challenged by them. I matured because because I waited and and because it hurt a little bit and because mm -hmm. and, and and all that I think really set me up for success here in this new assignment and and also I think. I have to be trust that when I'm, when I was sort of stuck there, <laughs> I, so I put air quotes around stuck when I was working for the archbishop at, at his will. Um, uh, and in doing what, you know, I think he was asking me to do. Um, I had to trust that God was doing things behind the scenes, wherever I was going to end up. I didn't know mm -hmm. I was going to end up here. Um, I, I, I had no idea where I was going to go, but in the meantime, here's what's been happening. Uh, you know, people have been leaving their estates, so we're financially okay. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but also father Frank is here. Father Bomber, he's, uh, uh, was really ready to kind of let go of the reins, but also want to be in a support role. He was just at the right age for that and didn't have the ego to really say, like, I need to lead this. So he, like God has just been preparing all of this. And then, um, then, you know, I have got people on my, on my leadership team that are, uh, are going through the mentorship program already. Uh, there's, uh, there's other people in my parish that are aching as well, like wanting more. And, mm -hmm. and so now had I come here three years ago, I don't know. We, I, maybe I would have been stuck in the middle of a campaign and a renovation of a church and like, ugh. <laughs> so when it seems like nothing's happening, 
God is at work in an unseen way, preparing the hearts of other people, arranging resources, all of that stuff is happening even when we can't see it and we feel like we're stuck. Yeah. And for Nehemiah, somebody was getting wood ready for him. He got uh, a little slip from the king that said, I'm on mission with the king's approval. And so he had that with him so that he could get everything ready before he actually went to Jerusalem. Or, you know, if he had the dream and then he just left the next morning, that never would have happened. He would have never had the wood or the, the other preparations that, that, that was God was preparing for him. Now, as we transition here, talking a little bit about preparations, I'm reminded of some really good advice that I got uh, from an author. I really appreciate the work of Michael Hyatt. Uh, some people have know his from his podcast and his books. And he talked about when he, you know, first took on one of his big leadership roles as the publisher for Thomas Nelson. He talked about how he really, he spent time, he kind of went away, went on a little personal retreat to really think about a vision for the task that was in front of him. And he, he says it's really important to distinguish between vision and strategy. Or, you know, as we, as we start to, you started to mention kind of plans that he makes the case that, okay, vision is kind of the thing that doesn't change. That's the destination. The strategy is how you get there. And if you have a compelling enough vision, a clear enough vision, you know, it's not fuzzy anymore. If your first plan to get there doesn't work, you just come up with another plan. That just made so much sense to me because in, I think in my experience, times where I hadn't let the Lord kind of mature and develop and confirm my vision, I'd immediately, because strategic is, you know, one of my Gallup top five, it's very natural to me. I develop plans really quickly. And if a plan doesn't work, then sometimes I'm really thrown off. And, but if you actually have a vision that's clear enough, if a plan doesn't work, you're just like, oh, great, I'll just come up with another plan. You know, it's like family vacation to Hawaii. Okay, we're going to fly southwest. Oh, so, yep, southwest can't work. Okay, we're going to take a boat. Okay, no, we're, yeah, we're going to go Delta. And you can just, there are all sorts of strategies to get to the destination. But it's the, it's the vision of the destination, this rich time, a family together, on the beach. That's what really provides that kind of perseverance for us. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like all that. I like what Michael Hyatt says in that. What I do find frustrating, though, and I'm, I'm going to guess that a lot of people listening find this frustrating, is that each author sort of has a different definition for mission, vision, yeah. and strategy. And I wish we could just all settle on things because the book I've been reading lately is called The Unstuck Church. And Tony Morgan, the author, talks about the vision is is very precise and it's mm-hmm. it's measurable and it's temporary. So it's like one year mm-hmm. or three years or five years. It's and, and but the, the mission never changes. So because similar to what you're saying. And probably all I did there was just confuse people. But I think the most important thing is that, you know, the mission is the why, why you're doing this. And then the the vision is the where you'd like to get. Now, however you get there. And again, if you have a vision that's that's a time stamp that's that's within a, a time limit like in three years we want to have a centralized office between three parishes here at midtown you know that's one of the visions it's certainly a how how are we going to pull this off but as, it's also i had to cr- really define that for people and, and articulate it and and then they also have to ask really tough questions what do you mean by a central office are you talking about like a physical location but it, it is a vision of the future that's really temporary. So in three years, 
we don't have that. We can put that away and we can move. Mm -hmm. Okay. Where do you want to be in the next three years? So, and I think that Catholic leadership Institute also proposes that, that method as well. Like, well, where do you want to be in three to five years? That's how they've kind of set up their vision. And we did a little bit differently in the archdiocese. I think the archdiocese, we were purposely vague uh, you know, where we're saying we want to be one church encountering Jesus, equipping disciples and living mercy. Well, okay, what does that really look like? And I think that's been hard. Now, we did that because the Archbishop doesn't want to micromanage parishes and schools. And I mean, it, it is sort of this, it's a good place to be. It's, it's a vision you can grow into, as Father Mallon commented about our own vision. Is it, mm -hmm. wow, no, there's a vision that you can grow into. Because it is sort of like, it's so far out there, you know, but I think we've been working really hard. That was one of the jobs I had at the, Arch at the Archdiocese was like really trying to articulate, well, what does that mean, one church? What does that really mean to encounter Jesus? Then, you know, I think when you put it into the parish level or the school level or into your ministry level, you still have to ask that question. Now, the Archbishop can't answer that question for you. We have to figure that out ourselves. What he's saying is, we want to be somewhere where people are encountering Jesus in a very powerful way that transforms their lives. Okay, that's what he's saying. But what does that look like practically? It's just, give me the vision. Where do you want to be? Well, I, 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 I want people to just encounter Jesus. Okay, tell me more. So that's, that's where that, that vision sharpens at the local level. So again, I... I confusing but hopefully it clarifies some for, for folks because i know i've heard other pastors sort of complain about it like well what do you mean what do you mean encounter you know what do you want us to do because other people are sort of wired to just do things just tell me what tell me what to do archbishop i'll do it and because they're faithful good loyal priests but at the end of the day at the local level with cooperative shared leadership we need to lean into those people who do have a vision for what should be that preferred future of people encountering Jesus through the Eucharist or through RCAA or, or whatever it is. So Father, you talked about there's this process that as we're patient and we let the Lord kind of mature us in a time of waiting, as we wrestle with our heartache, there, there's this maturing process where the vision does get sharpened. Give us an idea, like what? It, how do we know if we have found an effective vision? Are there some elements to it that we can hang on to or look for? One would be, uh, if it's too big for you to do alone, that would be a good sign <laughs> that, that God's mm. involved in that. But it's a divine vision and not your own. <laughs> yeah. Um, Gosh, I love that. But, that. It's so true when you say it, but I think many of us immediately dismiss it. It's like, well, I could never do that. And it's like, no, you, you could never do that alone. You could never do it without help. Yeah, you have to consider the source of who's giving you the vision because the source is pretty infinite, right? God, God Almighty. Again, just going back to Nehemiah, 150 years since, I mean, nobody wanted to do Like, that was crazy talk. And yet, it was so big that they, uh, it was clearly from the Lord. What else? Like, what, what are some elements where you know you've like, okay, now I've got an effective vision or I've got it sharpened? Well, I think you have to test it with people and not with everybody. I think that's uh, one of the things Nehemiah did. When he eventually got to Jerusalem, he just talked to a few people. Because here's what happens. When you have an idea, uh, if you share it with everybody, 
and if you share it with the wrong people, they'll squish it. Like, cause there's a cynic in every crowd. And yeah, yeah Steve uh, Wazikowski, he was one of the founders of Apple with Steve Jobs. He, uh, he often talked about, you know, ideas are like babies. They ha- they do have to grow, um, but you don't want to give them to people who just crush, <laughs> crush those ideas. <laughs> um, don't, yeah. Don't hand your idea to a stranger. Yeah, so God visions are usually too big for us to handle, and and I think it's it's something God is asking us to trust. Again, this right. is not something like, oh, I've got a vision, just pull it off. Like so, so Nehemiah really prayed for success. It was a place where he knew it was not going to be possible on his own. He was going to have to ask God to pull some strings to make things happen, mm-hmm. change some hearts, really. But at the end of it, Nehemiah. And we have to trust that we're in the right place. Be convicted. Be convinced. I've been reading a lot of Padre Pio lately uh, because we just celebrated his feast day. As we're recording this this week, there's this line that he uses to kind of just give consolation to people. And it's just, he says, be convinced that you belong to Jesus. Be convinced. And it's almost like it's an act of the will. Like, it's really kind of up to you. You belong. Like, God belongs to you and, and you belong to him and, and he's pretty convicted about it in his heart but it's this ascent we have to make to it so trust that you're in the right place trust that your circumstances are preparing you well and trust that the lord is willing and able to use you despite your weakness i mean i would say you know my own as you're talking about i i sometimes it's like i imagine it's like well i don't know if jesus knows how disorganized i am and it's like i there's a great way you know at a a friend recently, I'll give a shout out to uh, Tony Lamar. We were listening to a little meditation that the Archbishop gave. And very offhandedly, the Archbishop you know, just mentioned, you know, the, the privilege that the Lord has entrusted this work to us, uh, referring generally, you know, to evangelization. And it hit my friend Tony like a ton of bricks. He's like, oh my gosh, all my life I've just focused on my need to trust Jesus. But it's like when my heart says, Jesus, I trust in you, and now I hear him say back, and I trust you too, Tony. Which is sometimes uncomfortable. It was like, Lord, are you sure? Maybe it's like, maybe it's like I, I had a lot of faith in you, but now I'm kind of questioning your judgment, Lord. Like, if you, you trust me. Yeah. And I, so I think as you're, you're asking this question, I'm sort of walking around it. You know, how do you know it's a vision from the Lord? And another sign would be that it's a shared vision, like nobody goes mm. it alone. If you want to go fast, do it alone. If, if you want a, a vision to move forward, do it with a team. That's an old African proverb, turns out. I, I heard it at a, a global leadership talk. But uh, if you want to go fast, do it alone. If, if you want to go far, do it with a team. Practically, like that means even if you're the first one to start the conversation, you're watching for the Lord having put the same vision in other people's hearts. Yeah, or when you share the vision, you share the mm-hmm. situation, they grab onto it pretty quickly. They say, oh my gosh, that's totally, that's kind of what's been on my heart as well. And I think that's what happened when, when a lot of us read Father Mellon's Divine Renovation, or we read right. Father Michael White's Rebuilt, or Sherry Waddell's Forming an Intentional Disciples. Like, they were sharing a vision. First of all, they were sharing a problem. Mm-hmm. And then they were sharing like a, a bad situation, but then also they were sh- sharing a solution. I'm like, oh my gosh. And that just, it, it moves hearts and like, it, it, you, yeah. you, you have to 
trust that the Lord is putting that in there because I think other ways to test it would be, is it scriptural, right? Right. Is it in line with what the church is teaching? You know, certainly those things, but a reflection of God's heart. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So those are some of the things like when I share a vision and people sort of get all uptight about it, because I certainly do in my homilies and my bullets and articles, I have, you know, really cast a vision for wanting to evangelize those who are like not in our church, like the church, our parish exists for its non-members. And then I just had another vision yesterday or more, maybe sort of an articulation of it. And I haven't put it in the bulletin yet, but I had a vision the other day I was going through alpha and in one of the alpha talks, this ex convict was sharing his conversion story. And, and I just started to dream about like, well, what if, what if our church was full of ex convicts? Like, first of all, how would people feel about it? But isn't that the church we want to be that's full of people whose lives have been transformed? And then, and actually the gospel this weekend is uh, where Jesus ministers to the prostitutes and the tax collectors and says the kingdom is for them. He's like, what kind of church do you want in five years? I want a church full of prostitutes, tax collectors, and ex-convicts. Probably ex-prostitutes and ex-tax collectors. Well, I guess you could still work for the IRS. Well, we're going to certainly walk with them, help them feel they belong, help them to believe and eventually behave in a certain way. We're all trying to behave better based on our our convictions, but that's beautiful. You could call it Corinth. (laughs) Yeah. We could call it Corinth. Oh, there's a good one. Yeah. The church of Corinth here in the middle of Omaha. But I, I, so I haven't really shared that one yet. And I think it might be my homily this weekend. Like, what if we had a church full of ex-convicts, you know? There is this line in, in, in Father Mallon's book. It's, it's not something he said, but it's something he heard from an, a brother priest of his. He said, if, if we're not afraid to leave our purse in our pew and we, when we go to communion, we don't have the right people at church. We're not inviting the right people to our parish. Mm. And I know that that hit a few people in my parish hard. They said, oh my gosh, like we just kind of create a little country club here. Like we should have people that we're sort of suspicious of and not comfortable mm-hmm. with. Those are the people who should be in our pews. Those are the people mm-hmm. we should be inviting. Yeah, people who are still on the journey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not like all the rest of us who have arrived. Exactly. So I have shared a little bit of this in homilies and bulletins. And one lady told me after mass, she just said, you're turning things up. You're turning me upside down. This, this is, you got this wrong. We're a traditional Catholic parish. We're not some sort of evangelical Protestants. <laughs> and, it's, and like, so I'm like, oh my gosh, well, I want to be Orthodox. And I, I, I try to be, I want to be faithful to the church's teachings. Absolutely. I made a promise to do that. And so the first things I, I started asking, because she made me really hesitate. And so I just asked, am I doing anything that Jesus would be disappointed in? <laughs> am I doing anything that Pope Francis would frown upon? Am I doing anything that's contrary to what the church teaches? Uh, have I said anything? Like, no, no, no. Well, then I think I'm still on the right track. Yeah, that's helpful. Father, you talked a little bit earlier about the the problem. And and articulating that is actually, again, it's, it's a little bit of a, it, you know, it's something that we don't like to do, but it's a really a necessary step to developing vision and beginning to draw other people in that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think sometimes we struggle with that because it feels like we're, oh, being a negative Nelly. Yeah. I'll, I will say, I showed this little story. One of the first times I shared what Gallup had to offer with engagement and strengths, I shared that with the Archbishop's leadership team. <laughs> they uh, very 
good and wisely said, it sounds like you're describing a solution uh, for something we don't have a problem with. So basically, you're, you're offering something that you haven't identified the problem and you're mm -hmm. just coming here with an idea. And because I like ideas and I like shiny new things and, and it's true. So you're the only one. <laughs> so it hurts some days when you share those things and like, you're offering a solution that, that maybe there isn't a problem to. So what Nehemiah did was he shared the problem first. So he actually said it. And so this is in chapter two. It's really early on. You actually don't have to go very far in Nehemiah to get through this story. So if you're like dreading, like, oh, I'm going to have to read a book of the Bible. Uh, I know that's such a Catholic thing. But it's only a few of those chapters in the beginning where you can get the real bulk of what happens here. So in Nehemiah 2, verse 17 and 18, he says, to the small group of people that he trusts, because he's called to verbalize that picture of the future. He just says, you see the bad situation we are in. Huh? Mm -hmm. Okay, what bad situation? Then he says that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. That's the problem. The solution? Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that we may longer be a reproach. Right? There's this sort of like shame, like, dude, we're God's people. Like, we're better than this. God has called us to something more. And he was really embarrassed by it. Like, so he identified a couple of problems there. One, the walls were burned down, but more importantly, that the problem is we're God's, we're God's beloved and we're called to the higher standard. And then he goes on to say, I, I told them how to hand, how the hand of God had been favorable to me. This is the other thing he does. Basically, God had been arranging things. Like the fact that the king gave him a slip that says, yeah, you got my permission. Go ahead and go do it. Like that's like a golden ticket. Yeah. Well, it's like there's two whys. Like, like, okay, why is this the right time? Or why, you know, why are we supposed to do this? And there's like, well, okay, the walls are broken down. So things are bad. The Canaanites are making fun of us. But the deeper why is God's on the move. He's doing something now. Look, I got a ticket. And I think that's really important. If we're going to cast a vision, well, you have to be aware of what God's doing already. I think that's, that's what's most compelling. So like when I do share things, I think I've done this at a priest council before, where I'll say something like, you should see what's happening in some of these parishes. You should see what's happening in places where Alpha is being really lived out by the parishioners. It's not just a nice program, but it's really like they embraced by the parishioners. What they're seeing is massive conversions, like straight out of the Acts of the Apostles, like conversions. Maybe not 5,000, but... But real, I mean, convicts, prostitutes, people with addictions, like finding healing and hope and mercy. And like God is on the move. Let's, yeah. let's do it. Let's, like, there's something going on in the evangelical world. And I'm not just like that denomination. I'm talking about those who evangelize to the poorest of the poor, to the, those who are, are the down and outs. Like when Pope Francis said, go to the peripheries. There's a good example of like, why... Why, why did God give us Pope Francis at, at this time? And then the mm -hmm. first thing he speaks about is to be a joy of the gospel in a world that has, has lost its flavor for it. I'm finding this really encouraging because when I used to, you know, when I used to discern, because some people know my Gallup Top 5 strategic and ideation, and those two things sometimes conspire against me. It's like the dark side of those. I can justify any idea, good or not, as strategic and important and valuable. And so I, I began to develop a, a routine where I would, almost the same things that you kind of articulated, 
that I would, I would test it a couple of ways. I say, okay, does this fit with God's heart? You know, is this what the church is calling for right now? You know, are my pastors either like universal pastor, my bishop, my, you know, the Holy Father, but then my particular pastors, you know, does this fit with their heart and where the Lord is leading them? Are other people, are the people that I need to pull this off, are they inspired by this? Are they coming with me? And then really practically, again, you know, many people know in, in the context uh, when I was a focused missionary, I had to fundraise my salary. And so often there was a, a resource gap and I had to share the vision and see if other people bought into it. And, and man, if all four of those things came together, there were resources to bring it about. Other people were passionate about it. It fit into the hearts of the pastors and leaders that I was working under and with. Man, that helped me sort out, you know, of all the ideas that I had, it's like, okay, the ones that could pass that test, they rose to the top. And those are the ones that I felt good about moving on and persevering through. Because there was a, a sense of call and kind of an external confirmation there. Yeah, it's really answering the why now is this such mm-hmm. a good, because God is on the move, right? So we yeah. want to invite people into something God is already up to. Well, and I mean, for those of us here in the Archdiocese of Omaha, I think we get a little bit of that benefit. Like, well, gosh, I mean, John Paul II, Benedict XVI, Pope Francis have been calling for new evangelization. They've been calling the church to reawaken and rediscover her missionary identity. Certainly, Archbishop Lucas has been doing that with the vision and priorities. And we have this benefit, at least a first clear piece of our discernment. It's like, yeah, this is what the church, this is what our our leaders, our shepherds are asking of us. And it gives us some freedom and some boldness as we begin to set out to, you know, personally evangelize, to, to turn our individual ministries or programs or families into missional communities. We're like, okay, we know we're on solid ground. We're part of something larger that we didn't just make up ourselves. Yeah. yeah. It's like, hello, McFly. McFly. Yeah. <laughs> so, Father, as we, as we kind of wrap up here, I want to suggest some practical next steps, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the cost of being a visionary leader. It's not an easy road. It's something that you can't do without the Lord, but there's kind of a suffering that goes with that. There's a, a you know, our, our crosses always fit us if it is indeed what the Lord has asked. But I think we'd be remiss if we just kind of painted this as a, oh man, I was sad for a little bit because this was broken, but then I prayed and then Jesus came along and then people started giving me wood and, and we started to rebuild the walls. You know, I got a, I got a blank check from, you know, from the king. Uh, talk a little bit about the price of leadership in this way. Yeah, I, I think uh, any vision worth pursuing will demand sacrifice and risk because you're pulling out of the status quo and the status quo is very comfortable for a lot of us. And it's, it's, it's comfortable for me. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. so I don't like sharing my ideas some days. Some days I like, just prefer to keep it in my Evernote, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because cause what happens is somebody like, oh, that's a really good idea. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> Like, crap, we're going to have to do it. Like, I'm much more comfortable in the idea realm some days. And then, well, what if people don't like it? And guess what? Some people are not going to like it. And again, in this book that I was reading, uh, The Unstuck Church by Tony Morgan, he, he talks about a vision. It will usually almost always attract people, but it will always repel other people. Mm. 
Uh, and I don't know how to tell the difference. Again, you have to go through that litmus test, like am I being faithful to the scripture? Am I in line with what God is already on the move with? And am I being faithful to my bishop uh, or to my pastor? So you have to go through those things. But I do, I remember... So Mm -hmm. you will receive criticism and sometimes it will stink, but I, I'm encouraged by what Ron Huntley said in our podcast a a few episodes ago in these bones will rise episode. These dry Mm -hmm. bones will rise. If you want to go back and listen to it, I don't know. There was just a, I would say a supernatural encouragement. Like he, he drew, it was criticism Mm -hmm. that they were facing constantly, but because they were so convicted, it didn't bug them very much. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they had a clear enough vision. I mean, that's where we started, right? If you have a clear enough vision, which part of that is this conviction that the Lord is asking you to do this, then you can fight through discouragement and distraction and all the things that typically derail us. Yeah. So, again, visions are easy to criticize. And again, I think I applaud our own Archbishop for putting the vision out there because I did hear priests criticize it. And mm-hmm. they're, they're on a list, and I shared it with the Archbishop. No. Yeah, they're in Iowa, by the way. <laughs> right. Uh, no, because it's, it's easy just to nitpick. I remember when I studied philosophy, it was much easier to nitpick a premise than to actually create an argument. And it was sort of fun, like, you know, you just, you just lined it up, which premise is maybe the weakest, and then you just, you know, you pick at it, you pick at it, and like, it's sort of easy. Now, I know we could do a whole show on this, Father, but what's your like your best piece of advice for those who are experiencing some degree of critique that they do, that they have a clear vision, they have this conviction, uh, maybe they're wavering or, or wondering, what's your piece of advice? Like, how do you persevere and respond to that criticism? Well, of course you pray. Duh. Um, <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to go back to a Padre Pio quote. And an image that he shared when we're tempted to fall. And, and I think letting go of your vision or letting your, your vision die at the hands of critics, that's mm. a temptation. And w- when he would feel tempted, when he was tempted to fall, he leaned on the cross. So I just have this image of me wobbling around the cross <laughs> and like, Oh, but wow. you know, I want something more and I'm, tem- but I'm also tempted just to like, just fall down and like, you know, just give up just to make sure that I lean towards the cross. So at least it's holding me up. <laughs> so that's what I, that's what I do. That's, that's pretty good. Well, I'm, I'm going to give us some practical next steps here. And then uh, I know we both got some resources to share here. I would say for those of you who find yourself, you're already on a team. Maybe it's you and your spouse as you have dreams for your family. You know, maybe it's a, a religious ed team or a youth ministry team, or maybe even a parish team. And you find the Lord kind of giving you a vision. In addition to what we shared, a really helpful technique can be to begin to find a common vision uh, or, or to find, I should say, the connection between the vision you've been given is to share a little bit of your initial conversion stories and your experiences in ministry. Because I found again and again that there's uh, a rhyme in what the Lord has done to draw us to himself and to call us into his service. And that as we listen to what the Lord has done for us, often that helps us find the common elements of passion. So the vision isn't just something that people are assenting to. Okay, you're the boss, Father. I guess we'll do this. But it actually is something 
that that you can help people again, not just because you're the leader, but we can actually find a shared passion for. So I just recommend it. it. It's a really simple thing, but just taking the time to share the stories. And I've seen this happen multiple times for teams that as they share their own conversion stories, their own calls into ministry, they begin to see how this common vision that they're wrestling with, that their own heart is deeply drawn to it, just not in the ways that they initially might have thought or not at the first articulation. And it ends up becoming a deeper synthesis of vision. So totally recommend that just as a one simple first step. Father, what what resources would you recommend? Uh, Where do people want to learn more about discovering a vision? Um, I don't know if you've ever read a book on this or not. Do you read books? Yeah. Uh, And most of these ideas are from a book called Visioneering by Andy Stanley. And like I... I joked before the podcast with you guys offline, just that, you know, I don't know if I've had an original idea in a long time or if ever, but I'm taking a lot of different ideas. And and when I read this book, it's just totally in line. Like, Oh my gosh, yes, this is it. This is the, it's not it. Like the, the answer to all my questions, Mm -hmm. but it was just, it it feels right. Uh, I think it's right. He's on track. It's scriptural. So yeah, a lot of these thoughts are, that I shared with you are, are really personal. I hopefully I was personal enough, but, but pretty much uh, this whole plan uh, and using Nehemiah as a backdrop is from Andy Stanley. Well, we'll put that in the show notes so people can check that out. Maybe a link to the book of Nehemiah. Those of you who just want to go directly to Nehemiah. And then there's a, another worksheet that we'll link to. Uh, the Office of Evangelization Catechesis put it together. It's called Finding a, a Gut Check Vision. And that'll just walk a a group of people, a team, even a family through a couple of questions that really help you find a common passion around where the Lord is calling you. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well in the hopes that that'll be a a blessing and a a handy resource for you all as well. So thanks for being with us, everybody. We hope that you are really opening your hearts and listening to uh, the Lord really beginning to, yeah, to give you a, a vision. God says that he, he actually gives his people part of the gift of being his people now, post-Pentecost, that the Spirit inspires a vision in all of us. And so big or small, we want to receive that as, as a gift from the Lord and put this conversation as a blessing to you. Thanks for being with us.